Anyone here named Sarah? Either your first name or your middle name. Anybody? Raise your hand real high. Okay. Wow. There's quite a few of you. I'm going to come over here and we're going to talk to a few people. In. Why don't you stand for a second? Sarah, right? First name? Sarah Henkelman? Yeah. Why were you named Sarah? So, basically, my parents wanted to give me a biblical name that was not, like, too long or not too short. Um, yeah. So, they chose the name Sarah, and the name, the name Sarah in Hebrew means God's princess, so I think that also had them want to give me that name. Amen. Amen. You know that the word spelled backward means harass, and you've got a younger brother, so... <laughs> Sarah, there's, let, keep your hands up. Where else do we have some Sarahs? Now everybody's afraid they're not going to raise their hands. So Sarah, is it Shao? Yes. Yes. What, why were you named Sarah? Uh, I, I had this English name from my first Philippine English teacher. She's a missionary. She, uh, at that time, I was six years old. When I got this name, I didn't like it because not many people in China got this English name. I thought maybe it's not popular. But later on, I found out it's a name from Bible and yes. it has a great story behind it. And then I started to love my name and it's really a blast to have this name. Thank you for sharing. Wow, that's, that's good. Who else would like to share? Well, too bad. You're not going to get a chance. We're going to go off of that one. I love the idea that the story behind it, and that's kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about what's in a name. Last week, we talked about four words that actually marked and created the good name of Abraham. Anybody remember what the four words are? Anybody here last week? (laughs) Go. Oh, wow. That was great. Go, believe, wait, persevere. Someone's looking in their notes. Good. I'm glad to see that. Well, this week we're going to look at Abraham's wife, Sarai. It's S-A-R-A-I and gets changed to Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. And we're going to look at what words marked her life and created her good name. And I'm going to ask you to stand again just because I don't want you to fall asleep in here. And we're going to read Solomon, who's one of the wisest, richest men in the world at that time. And I even look back today as that would collect these wise sayings. He would, he would, he would himself had wise sayings, but he collected them in a book called Proverbs. And, and we're going to read this together. Proverbs 22, verse 1. Let's read it together. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Solomon pens those in something very similar in another book. This book is kind of his existential search, and as he's searching, he comes to some conclusions, and one of the conclusions he comes to is, is, is in Ecclesiastes 7.1. So we'll read this one together as well. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Great. Thanks. You may be seated. It's not only a good name tied to the fact that there's better wealth because it has the ability to open doors, gives credibility, those kind of things. A good name also has lasting power is what Solomon is saying. It's not like a, some kind of cologne or some perfume that you put on that lasts for a few hours and then eventually your, your real odor comes back, right? A good name lasts a lifetime and actually beyond. Names like you'll think of it right away and characteristics will come. Washington or Lincoln or Harriet Tubman or Florence Nightingale, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. I could list these things and these names are like a perfume and the qualities with it kind of are a fragrance that, that wafts on throughout history. And that's why he says 
and the day of death is better than the day of birth because he's making this point that in birth you cannot control your name. Someone gave you a name even as a teacher. At certain points you're given a name, but there is something true about the name that you have that on the day of death you can leave it with content and packed with some truth and some meaning and some things in your character as you walk with God and, and, and are obedient to him and trust him through your life. And that's what we see in the lives of these people. So what's in a name? What's so important about a name? What's so important about your name? It's incredibly important to God. Because your name will be remembered. Someday, when you're not here, the day of your death, what are maybe three words that would be left in the minds of other people? What might they think of? What would come to mind? What do you think would come to mind? Well, here's a few things that come to mind with Sarah. These are some ones that I've chosen. You could have chosen your own list. And these are some that you may agree with or not agree. But there's really three words. We talked about four words last week. Go, believe, wait, persevere. This week we're talking about the words left, loyalty, and laughter. Now you're thinking left, it's, it, it's the idea that Sarah left, it's not that she's left-handed, but she was willing to let go, to leave. And Sarah will always be known for her willingness to leave. Imagine the day Abraham came home, and with excitement he said, let's go. We're going to leave our home in the city, let's pull up roots, let's move. And she's going like, Where? Like to the suburbs of Ur, you know, they're thinking maybe just on the outskirts of Ur. He goes, nope. And, and she's continuing, you're not thinking of the country living, are you? And I don't know if Abraham was kind of, you know, remember that song, Green Acres is the place to be. This is the date me farm living is the life for me. Land stretching out so far and wide. What? It was, it wasn't, it wasn't leave Manhattan or, or keep Manhattan. It was keep the city of Ur. That's what it really was. And give me that countryside. Well, okay. Anyway. He says, nope, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about going to the country, some farmland or something like that. And then she says, where? He says, you remember the night I was sleeping and I was trying to get to sleep. I woke up and I got out of bed. You said, what's up? You said, I'm going to go for a walk. I went for a walk. And as I went on the walk, I looked out the city and I looked beyond that and I saw all the hills and the mountains and the country. And as I was walking, I, I heard a voice or I felt this voice or, or some kind of impression. I don't even really know how to say it, but there was this strong sense that the voice was saying to me, go and I, as you're looking at all that land, I'm going to give you more land. I just want you to go. Well, Sarah's intrigued right now, and she's wondering what in the world he is thinking. And she says, well, where did the voice tell you to go? And, and, and he said, well, I just said, follow me, and I'll bless you to bless others. Okay. What would your reaction be? I just wonder what she's thinking. This is my home, this is where I grew up, this is where my family is, this is where my friends are, this is where we're settled, I feel secure, I'm comfortable, I like this house, we've put just some new furniture in, right? And I would love to have kids and family here. You know what, I think it's really harder. I I, I am amazed at Sarah, because I think it's harder for the person who is one-off. I call them the one-off person. The one standing alongside, the one having to respond to what might be transpiring in another person's life. Abraham's talking with God and he's talking to her. She's not hearing the voice. 
I just think of how difficult it is for people. My heart often goes out in a pastoral kind of setting and in, in situation when I, when I meet with people and, and I meet with a person who has been diagnosed with cancer or some illness and you meet with them and, and, and attention is given to them, but I often think about what about the person next to them? What's that like? What's it like with the person who's living with the person who has terminal cancer or the person who is going through a crisis and they're next to that person on a daily basis or the parent who has a child who isn't fitting in and, and is getting even bullied and, and maybe teased and, and how do you, how do you handle that? What do you do? That's Sarah. She's what I call the one-off person. She's the one who is following the voice from the voice of another person. I mean, Abraham is viewed as this great man of faith. Wow, but look at Sarah. The incredible faith she had to leave. It's much easier, and I think in some sense, for Abraham to let go and leave. He heard the voice. Sarah only gets to hear Abram. And he tells her about the voice. Sarah had to trust God and Abram. She had the one-off revelation. And I sometimes think her faith may have been twice as strong. Sarah left. She was willing to let go. I thought about this. Here are some people today. God is working in your life. You have maybe are just starting into this. You're starting to say, I'm, you know, I know I need to be spiritual. I know I need to think more about God. I know I need to think about this whole church thing and what's all this about. And you're in this place and God has been, through circumstances, through friends, through others, has been speaking to you and has been moving you here. And you're at a point where you may be challenged by God and by his spirit to, to leave. You ever thought about how hard it is? Some of you think about when you first made your steps of faith towards God, leaving behind sometimes friends, sometimes ways of life, some things that you just had to leave as God said, follow me and I will bless you beyond what you could imagine. I remember my own life. I remember when I was coming to that place where I was beginning to make some commitments to Christ and thinking about giving my life fully to Christ. I had followed him. I had been raised in a church and all those different things, but I was in my college years. And in those college years, my, my whole mindset was to go into business and, and to run a small business and something like that. And God started to speak to me, started to call me. And he said, no, Kevin, I want all of you. I'm asking you to, you know, to use your gifts in this way. He doesn't ask everybody. He asks you as a businessman to be the best business person you can be with the people around you. Business lady, man, whatever. He asks you as a teacher to be the best teacher. Use your life to serve him wherever you're at. Well, he was asking me to serve him. And I remember in my mind going through this whole thing, I honestly felt like I was going crazy. Really? If if I give you everything and I leave to follow you completely? Some of you know what that's like. Some of you are being challenged to begin a journey with God that you've never begun before. Some of you, as we saw last week, are living still in a place called Haran. They left Ur, they went to Haran, which is in the outskirts of that city, and they settled there, and you've got one foot in and one foot out, and God has been saying to you, get both feet in. It's time to quit just kind of going to church and and, and doing the, the kind of spiritual thing. It's time to say, God, here is my whole self. And when an offering plate goes by, it's not a few dollars, it's me in that offering plate. We're getting our ushers trained to be able to hold those plates. Anyway. <laughs> Beth, who does constantly here, Beth Moorhead, and who has had incredible influence on so many people's lives, um, 
had the opportunity to meet a lady named Corey Tenboom. In fact, it was Corey Tenboom on a plane when Beth was a flight attendant who was the person who led her to faith in Christ. And if you don't know about Corey Tenboom, she was a Dutch watchmaker, a Christian, and she's no longer living at this point, but she was a Christian who, along with her father and her other family members, helped all kinds of Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. She hid them in her closet. She was caught and imprisoned and sent to a prison camp. Her sister died in that prison camp which she was at. And later she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. It's a biography that just kind of recounts the whole thing. You know, when Corey would speak, she would encourage people often with a few words. Here's a quote that's often remembered by her. Because she had learned to leave. Sometimes she didn't have a choice. But she had learned again and again to leave and to give things to God. She said, hold everything in your hands lightly. Hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. I think Sarah was the first to utter those words by the way she lived and trusted God. I think she had that attitude. What is mine is yours, God. God, if you're in it, I'll follow you. If you're in it, God, I'll follow you. She left. She was willing to let go. She held things lightly. Are you gripping something really tight right now? Well, she was also loyal. What I love about the fact that she could leave and be the one-off of the revelation was how loyal she was. Now, as I got into this this week, honestly, this could take five to six messages, this whole area of her loyalty. She was loyal to Abraham. She, she listened to, I believe, the Spirit of God through him, and, and she followed him. And, and, and there's a whole thing that you need to go through about a patriarchal culture and all kinds of other stuff that we would have to unpack. But I don't want to unpack that. What I really want to come across within this point is that she was loyal to Abraham. It was obvious later on she was loyal to her son Isaac. But what I want you to know and to hear, the reason she could leave was she was fiercely loyal to God. That's our first commandment. She was fiercely loyal to God. She could, in her heart, say, God, if this is the way, and this is how you're leading, and this is what you're doing, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow Abraham. Can you imagine? He comes to Haran, he settles, she's settled again. They're living like Nome, Alaska, you know, on the outskirts of the country. It's hardly anything. But there's some culture that's the same. And they've settled, and, and Abram comes back and goes, As I'm walking again, and guess what? This isn't the land. And she listens to God, and she follows him, and she follows him into this land of Canaan. They get to the land of Canaan. They're hardly in the land of Canaan, and there's a famine. So they have to go all the way down to the land of Egypt. Now, here's the part that I just marvel at, uh, at Sarah, because... Uh, she followed Abraham with some very harebrained ideas. I, seriously. Two times in scripture you see, one time before he actually has Isaac and one time after, he comes down into the Egypt and he goes to the Pharaoh and he tells, this is what he tells, as you read later in Genesis 20, you could read this, he, he tells her, 
So he meets Pharaoh, and then he meets a guy named Abimelech. Pharaoh over Egypt. Abimelech is the the word Abimelech. Melech in Hebrew means king or ruler. He was kind of a king ruler over an area, the, the rule of the area of Negev. But here's what he told her when they were going. He and he tells us to Abimelech. He says, he says, when the father, when 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 God had me leave my father's household, I told Sarah that she should tell everybody that she's my sister. Okay, here's the problem. Sarah was a beautiful woman. Some people believe you go to Genesis chapter 11 and you look at these verses, um, there are actually a lot of rabbinic scholars who believe that, uh, that, that Sarah was named Ithka before, and that Sarai, which is, which is a, a form that isn't found too often in, in ancient language, some believe that it's kind of like a pet name, like my princess. And, and so Abraham would refer to her as my princess. And, um, and so this name Iska was a name meaning beautiful, his idea profoundly beautiful. And so as you read through it, it says in Genesis eleven twenty nine 29 to 30, the name Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahar's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran and the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren and she had no children. So a lot of rabbinic scholars will talk about how beautiful she is. So when they would go into a country, Abraham was scared mostly for himself, not so much for her. Because he knew that if he came into a country, he came into a land where was a person more powerful, it was not a problem. You know, this guy's traveling. No one knows who he is or where he's coming. It's just a, he's out of here. I'll just get rid of him and I'll take her. Because she's beautiful. So he says, you know what I want to do? And really it's to protect him because he's afraid. Here's this guy who has this incredible amount of faith who's afraid that God can't take care of him. And so he says, and he puts his wife in a situation of harm. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you, when you go into these land, I want you to tell them my sister. And out of love and loyalty to him, she goes and does that. And in two different occasions, the guy's about to marry her and God intervenes. And he's, and the guy realizes this is not his sister as he comes to Abraham and finds out it's truly his wife. You got to read the story to get it all. Okay, I don't have time to share it all. But here's what amazes me. Peter makes a comment on this. Peter was a guy who had a real tough time trusting Jesus. Remember Peter? Peter would be out in the boat. and He had been fishing and he came in. Jesus was teaching on the shore. And he comes in and they're cleaning their nets. They're listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus gets done teaching. He wants to get away from the crowd. And he says to Peter, after they have cleaned their nets from an evening, morning kind of of fishing, he says, let's go out fishing again. And Peter's like... Yeah, really? Okay. And then he takes him on the boat. And then Jesus at one point goes, there, I think that's a good spot. And they let out the net and it's filled with fish. And, and Peter all the time is thinking, what is this guy? You know, because he's the rabbi, I'll do it. But I'm the fisherman. He's the carpenter. Peter comments on her. He says in chapter 3 of First Peter, verse 6, You are Sarah's daughters if you do it is right. And I love this phrase, and do not give way to fear. Your loyalty is to God. And she was fiercely loyal. I had a whole lot more I was going to say about this, but I'm not, because I think the next stuff that we got to talk about is really also important. Sarah left. She was fiercely loyal. She was loyal. And she was loyal to God. 
and she laughed. She laughed. That's probably what she may be known for the most throughout Scripture. She laughed at the impossible. Think about that. She laughed at the impossible. There are really many ways to laugh as there are many ways to cry, right? You can cry out of misery. You can cry out of self-pity. You can cry due to sorrow. You can cry out of pain. You can cry to get attention. You ever had a kid who's just... "Ah!" And then you say, you can have the candy. Okay. You can cry out of manipulation. You can cry tears of joy. So also with laughter. Do you know there's lots of ways to laugh? You can laugh mockingly. You can laugh teasingly. You can laugh with wonder. You can laugh with skepticism and cynicism. Or you can laugh full of pure joy. Abraham laughed with wonder. We're told in Genesis 17, verse 1, and I'll read some of these verses. When Abram was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him, Abram fell face down and, Sarah sa- and God said to him, As for me, and this is my covenant with you, you will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful and make you the nations of you, and kings will come from you. And then God also said to Abraham, so he's talking to Abraham here, he says, you know to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai, my princess. Her name will be Sarah. It's a very interesting change. Again, rabbinical scholars and also many Old Testament scholars say there's hardly, really, there really isn't much difference between the two names. And they really struggle with what the name Sarai means, but it's most likely, and it appears as I've studied, it means my princess. But when it goes to Sarah, it means more like the princess. You will be the princess of people, many people. Just like he will be the father of many nations, you'll be the princess, not just of Abraham any longer, but you'll be the princess of many people. And so as for Sarah, your wife, she'll no longer be called Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and sure you, she will give you a son by her and I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her which is so significant, those words. Anyway, back to the story, the whole idea of laughing. Abraham laughs. Here's 17 of verse chapter 17. Abraham fell face down when God told him this, and he laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to me, a man 100 years old? I can't believe it. Not only that, will Sarah have a child when she's way past the age of being able to have a child? I, this is a laugh of wonder. I can't believe it, God. All these years, 99 years, I've been following you. And today you're telling me this is beyond what I could ever imagine. Well, you get a little bit further in the story, chapter 18, Sarah laughs. Sarah laughs, though, with skepticism. I got to tell you, one of the worst things when it comes to this whole idea of the impossible, when God says, I'm going to do this in your life, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for you, I promise you, I'm going to do this for you, is when you don't see it happening, you're waiting and waiting, you're persevering, persevering, it's not happening. What's really easy to happen is you can become skeptical and cynical, and I can tell you, if you do that, you won't get your blessing. Can you imagine the lady who had gone to doctor after doctor when she was, all of a sudden, Jesus is coming to town, if she would have been cynical and laughed, yeah, right, I'll never be healed, but she didn't, she had faith, she believed, even one more time, if I could just touch his hem, maybe, but she laughs with skepticism. At the impossible situation she's in. Verse 18, one says, The Lord appeared to Abram near the tent of the great trees of Mamre. 
Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. These were angelic visitations, and because he's a good Middle Easterner, he gives them you know, hospitality, brings food to them. And, and they ask, where's your wife? And he points there behind them in the tent. And verse 10 says, Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, <laughs> after I'm worn out, right? And my Lord's really old. Abraham's a really old guy. Will I now have this pleasure? Right. Totally skeptical. Then Abraham said to, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. So Abraham asked her, Sarah, and she, he says Sarah was afraid, so she lied and she said to him, I, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did. <laughs> she laughed in a sense of doubt. She laughed at the impossible. Have you ever laughed at the impossible yourself? Maybe you're there today. God says, someday you will no longer feel this ache of loneliness. There's a day coming that you will not feel this. In fact, there's a day coming when I will give you a family and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and cousins. And you go, yeah, right. It's been 15 years. Are you kidding me? Maybe God comes to you and says, you will not always struggle with this sin. Someday you'll actually overcome your addiction to chemicals or to food or to lust and pornography or, or to doubt or to the need of approval. Someday you'll be free of that. And it's just so hard to believe. You go, yeah, right. I've been struggling with this for years. God comes and he says, a day is coming when you will live in joy. Guess what? You won't be on a roller coaster up and down in your experience of ecstatic emotional highs and days of deadly despair. No, a day is coming when what seems impossible to you will be made possible by me, your Lord and Savior Jesus, through your walk of trust and obedience. Just keep journeying with me. Just keep walking with me. Keep waiting and persevering. Just like Abraham and Sarah, just keep walking step after step. Keep keep putting yourself fiercely loyal towards me. Keep walking with me. Don't become cynical. Don't become, in, in any way, don't, don't let the skepticism begin to reign in your heart. When you laugh, when you laugh, laugh, saying, God, I'm just going to claim in faith, in a sense, that you can do this. As you feed upon God's word, as you read the Bible, as you share life authentically, the reason we call people community, being with one another, I, I've been renewed again in the last couple of weeks as I've been meeting with some guys. It is so important to be in community with other people. We're not going to do church without being in community with other people. This next fall, we're going to just emphasize this. We are not a church of a lot of people attend us Sunday morning. We are a church that's going to be connected to one another in smaller settings. It is incredibly important for your walk. You may say it doesn't matter right now, but you know what? It will when you come into a crisis. As you walk with God, you develop these spiritual habits of worship. You say, God, I'm going to give myself. I'm going to come at least once a week, and I'm going to come, and I'm just going to worship you. I'm going to hear your word. I'm going to use my gifts to serve others. I'm going to take, and he says, I promise you, I will do the impossible. I will take your mind off yourself and establish my very character in you. And you will get to know me, and you will follow me, and you'll become like Jesus, just like our vision, our mission statement says. We want you to know, follow, and guess what? When you do that, you will become like Jesus. 
Peter, someday you will be bold. Thomas, someday you will no longer be doubting. Mary, one day you will no longer feel the shame of your past, but you will use it to lift many from their own pain. So what's in a name? A new name is given to establish a new identity that God has empowered you to embody. He gives you a name so that you walk towards it. And there's going to be a day that he will match the name with your character. And when that happens, the spirit of God flows through you. Now, have you noticed anything similar between both Abraham and Sarah's name change? Anybody, as you look at the the name up here, it's only slight. You notice anything different between the two? I'll give you a clue. Let's look at the next slide. You see any difference here? A single H. The H means divine breath of God. It's referenced during the Genesis days of creation. And so adding that H to Abraham and to Sarah represents the re- this, this release of God's divine, creative, powerful breath to accomplish the impossible. He comes in and breathes in them to do what's impossible. And quite possibly this new name reveals the empowering presence of God in their life. Their identity now reveals to all the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit through them. And whenever their name is heard from the rest of time on, God is heard as well. Because you cannot think of them without looking to God. So finally, Sarah laughs with pure joy. Once she was filled with shame and heartbreak, living it day in and day out, but no longer, she is filled with the joyful fruit of the work of God in her life. And so it says in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac, which means he laughs. And to the son Sarah bore him. Now catch this, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. There's nothing too impossible for God. I want you to hear a story of a person named Sarah who has experienced incredible life change because a community has come around this person and loved this person and they have been able through that love to feel the very presence and, and the very life of God and that has changed them. What they, for years, this Sarah thought was impossible, God made possible through people who loved her and pointed her to God. Pointed her to Jesus. And as you listen to this, she'll be using that, the word Jesus. She's going to use the, the Hebrew name of Jesus, which is Yeshua. So she'll talk about Yeshua. She's just talking about Jesus. I want you to listen. If you told me that I'd be up here sharing my story, giving my testimony of the goodness of Yeshua, I would have laughed at you. A laugh like Sarah one of disbelief and hesitation. Why would Yeshua be there for me? I'm not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough to be his. It's taken years for me to see Yeshua for who he is, and I'm still learning. After these last few years and seeing Yeshua turn impossibles into possible, I'm learning to laugh like Abraham, a laugh of hope and excitement for what Yeshua has planned for me next. I grew up in and around poverty and abuse, 
I was raised by a single mom who was very sick and had many health complications. I saw and experienced violence and trauma from a young age. By the time I was 14, I was struggling with depression and self-harm. I started to use drugs and alcohol to escape what my real life was. Over the years, the pressure to care for my mom and her medical needs and to take care of my girls in an unhealthy family system seemed like too much. I got to the point of being suicidal. I didn't know it at the time, but I was struggling with PTSD with dissociation, which made every situation harder. I felt lost inside myself. I used to not like church. It felt like a place where I was judged for everything I was, poor, single, and different from the other moms. I felt judged for everything I wasn't. I wasn't a good Christian. I didn't know God like people would talk about, and I didn't have the God moments in my life. It felt like he had left my family and wasn't looking back. I spent years at a different church feeling like an outsider. I tried for eight years to feel God and feel like I belonged, and it never happened. I told myself that I'd give up on church because I just didn't belong. But my friend Sarah convinced me to visit Wyzetta Free. Five years ago when I walked in here, I didn't want to know anybody, I didn't want any attention, and I didn't want anyone to talk to me. I felt broken and had no hope. Well, I'm going to ask if uh, Sarah Canfield and Christina would come forward, Christina Dunawand, and they're just going to share the rest of that story. Um, some of you have seen Sarah Canfield as she has done custodial work for us, and I have to tell you, for her to be standing here is God doing the impossible in her life because this was something you would never have done before. So I'm going to give you the microphones here. Good. You can stand right here. That'd be great. Yep. Thanks, Pastor Kevin. I'm excited to share my story of my life with Yeshua. So I'm really excited, too. Sarah and I have um, walked this journey together for five years, and um, she's one of my very best friends, and it's been a real privilege and a real joy. So, um, Sarah, in your audio, you do use the name Yeshua um, instead of Jesus. And when you and I talk, we use other names for God. Um, Can you tell everybody why we do that? Um, Yeah, it's because of some things in my past. The traditional names for God and Jesus seemed too big and intimidating, and they had been used in some wrong ways and I just had some images in my mind related to God and Jesus that just didn't seem right and using the Hebrew names uh, Yahweh and Yeshua just felt safer and gave me a way to learn who God and Jesus truly were Um, and the Hebrew name for Jesus is Yeshua, which means God is salvation, and the name we use for God the Father is Yahweh, which is the name he shared with Moses, and it means I am, and Holy Spirit, still Holy Spirit. It works. (laughs) Um, So can you share with us how your journey towards Yeshua started? Um, Yeah, my friend Sarah Lux gave me Beth's, um, Beth Moorhead's uh, email, and on a really bad day, I reached out to her to see if we could start meeting, and uh, 
we started meeting and she helped show me who Yeshua and Yahweh are and she has definitely saved my life on more than a couple occasions and I'm really lucky to have to have her in my life and um Coming here, I got to know Beth and you and Diane and Mike, and you four have been my compass, essentially, and have helped point me in the right direction when I go astray and lead me back to his truth. So um, what did that look like from day to day? What does it look like, I don't know, to live like that? Um, Well, it it varied a lot, um, having people around me who spoke truth into my life um, was amazing and weird and different and sometimes it was just us going on a long walk in the woods and talking about Yeshua and learning where he is uh, in my life Um, other times it was just having someone with me letting me know that tomorrow's worth seeing and that I'm worth waking up in the morning um with my traumatic brain injury that I suffered, um, it was everything from rides to hospital appointments. Um, I had 21 alone in January of 2016 um, to bringing hot meals over uh, for me and my girls and just loving on us while I took over six months to recover. Um, The congregation has helped with just basic needs like shoes for a school performance or back-to-school clothes. Um, And a lot of the time it was just being able to ask questions about Yeshua and Yahweh and get answers without being judged or ridiculed. I have to say that was really fun for me, too. Um, I don't think we've had a conversation. Well, maybe we've had a couple. Maybe like the Cub Carrot truck or something. (laughs) We... All of our conversations have been filled with Yahweh, have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, it was just really cool to be friends with somebody who would ask all these really deep questions that were so powerful. And it was like God would just come in and he would just bring an image to mind. And it was some random image, like a bird with wings and feathers. And I would say something and Sarah, you... I'd, I'd be like, that totally makes sense. I can connect that as a tangible way to understand Yeshua mm-hmm. and Yahweh and how they are. Yeah, it was really cool. It still is really cool. Yeah. Uh, also, if any of you ever need to go to HCMC for anything, Sarah's your lady. She knows where everything is in the entire hospital, how to park, where the cheapest parking is, what wing you need to be in. Yeah. You call her. So, Sarah, what do you think is the turning point in your journey? Um, I'd say there have been like little turning points, but the big, the big thing that happened, um, was on the women's retreat this year. It was the first retreat that I've been on where I felt that I actually belonged with this group of women and was one of them instead of an outsider looking in. And Christina and I were in the prayer room and we were praying and I accepted new life from Yeshua and um, we had talked about how how he gives you first fruits and fills you with them and that just gave me this 
amazing image of how my empty spaces were being filled with first fruits and how we're like a garden that Yeshua tends to. And when we have bad fruit, he intervenes and nurtures us. And when we produce good fruit, he's just full of joy and happy. What were some of the things that you noticed right after you accepted new life from Yeshua? Um, I had a lot of spiritual oppression and negative voices in my head that lied to me about who he was. And after praying and getting new life, um, the, the noise inside just quieted down and it felt like a giant stone was lifted off my heart. I had never felt a calm like that in my life and I kind of felt sad at the realization that I'd missed out on who Yeshua and Yahweh really are all these years and um, sat with Holy Spirit and it was like this raging storm of emotions just instantly calmed. I felt loved by someone I never thought I'd know and it brought me peace. It's so cool. I have to tell you, too, there were other ladies in the prayer room, um, prayer ladies with us. And while this was going on, they had no idea what Sarah and I were talking about. And they were having the worst fit of the giggles. Like, the worst. Andrea Habeisen, like had to be carried out of the room. She was laughing so hard she couldn't stand up. And afterwards, I thought about it, and I thought about the verse that um, says how the angels in heaven celebrate when somebody walks into eternal life. And I thought, oh, they were just all celebrating, and I had no idea. So it was really cool. It it was a great moment. Um, So you said in the audio that there were impossible things in your life that now are suddenly and amazingly possible. Um, Will you share some of those? Yeah, pretty much my entire life was impossible. (laughs) Um, um, I just, you know, felt worthless my entire life and when you're in a family system and around people who you know don't appreciate you and only you know want things from you you don't feel like you have a purpose and now I feel like I have a purpose and I'm here for a reason um and you know growing up in low-income apartments and being surrounded by that environment I never thought we'd live in a house and we live in a house, and it's pretty awesome. Um, and um, I, I came to Sunshine Corner here when I was little, um, but it was only after having a very traumatic experience experiences in my other preschool that my mom, the, the school shut down, and they brought me here, and I didn't think teachers were nice. I didn't think they were kind and I got that here um and just going from a cycle of an unhealthy family system to understanding and being shown what it means to to be a good mom and acting it out to to the best of my ability has been pretty cool to to know that I've I've come that far just just as a mom you know to 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 be a better example for my kiddos And, you know, another impossible was, um, you know, growing up in poverty and things, you don't really get to go to college and stuff like that, and thought I'd never get a good job, never get a job that I liked, and now I've got 
two jobs that I absolutely love and they don't feel like work and I know I do a good job and that I'm appreciated. So, yeah. And to, to Kevin's point about having a good name, one of those jobs came from Terry, who's a custodian here. He works at Blake. And he has seen how hard Sarah works and how um, reliable she is. And he put in a good word for her at Blake, um, at the Blake School, and that's how she got her job. So anything else you want to share? Um, just I want you guys to know that this congregation, my church family, it's been awesome. You guys saw someone worth loving and investing in and saving. You've shown me that I'm loved by Yeshua and that I'm His. I love coming to church now, and I'm learning Bible stories, and I feel connected to so many awesome sauce people that are here, and you guys have just become my family. I still have days where our congregation seems like a whole lot of people, and it's overwhelming, but I'm loved on and accepted still, and it's a pretty great way to live surrounded by so much love and truth. I just can't believe how many lies I was told and believed and just come to realize how much truth there really is. And sometimes I go back to old thoughts, but I remember what I've overcome and that I'm surrounded by so much good with family and friends who love and accept me even when I'm a nerd, which I tend to be a lot. Um, Yeshua can make even the most impossibles possible. And sometimes it feels like he's not there, but he is. He sees you, and he'll help you through your impossibles. You just need to have hope and trust him. I'm going to ask you to keep standing. We're going to close. I know we're at 1119. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys to play afterwards. And if you get, anybody wants to stay and sing, you can. If you want to leave, you can leave. Because I realize people have commitments. But I just want to read these things before you go. Why? Why wait till Sarah was 89 years of age? Why not earlier? Sarah's name was changed because it is done to establish a new identity that God empowers a person to embody. You are no longer Sarai, my princess, Abraham, your princess. You are now princess in a general queenly sort of way. You are princess of my people. Christ has given you a new name. And I just want to say, if you don't know this new life that Sarah's talked about, I invite you to talk to me, to talk to someone. The reason we want you in small groups because there are people who can come around you and share truth and be with you. It's such a simple prayer. You can do it even as we pray and sing. And that is just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Give me your peace and rule through me. It's that simple. It's just a step of faith. 
In Christ, you are given a new name. I wrote this and I want you to hear this. A new identity because of Jesus you are called. Chosen, loved, forgiven, redeemed, holy, and righteous. You are born of God, born of the Spirit. You are a friend of Jesus and like him, a friend of sinners. You are a servant of the Most High. You are anointed, established, and sealed by God. You are known as God's child, God's temple, God's workmanship, and God's ambassador. In Christ, you are hidden and secure. In Christ, you are the fruit of his presence, the heir to his throne, the aroma of victory, and the citizen of heaven. You are an overcomer, not a victim. You are the apple of his eye, no longer the shame of your sin. You are a saint who sins, who will someday be sinless. You are precious, having been bought with a price. You belong to God. Your past is forgiven, your present empowered, and your future guaranteed. You are forever his, and he is forever yours. Amen?